Hi, I'm Jeannie Patel-Thompson from ListenToYourGut.com. I'm here with Natasha Trenev, the founder and owner of Natrin.com, a world-renowned expert on probiotics and culturing and fermenting. We're here for Healthy Gut Bugs Q&A, session number two. Um, all about getting a healthier microbiome, and we have a ton of questions that have come in from my readers that we're, we're getting through, which is why this has turned into a series, because there's been so many questions. And I want to kick this one off, though, because right before we hit record, Natasha and I started talking about kombucha, and I went, wait a minute, we should actually save this conversation for the call. Um, what kicked us off is we had a reader comment come in on the last um, video that we did where she said, um, if you, if you, if I take a deep breath when you ask me about fermented foods or dumping a pile of probiotics in your shake after a round of Cipro or start explaining why you're having a histamine reaction after your friend told you to start slamming back kombucha like it's soda pop, watch this. And Natasha, you said what? I said that, you know, we uh, in the Western society have to learn that just because a little bit of something in a culture is good, it doesn't mean that we go run out and consume this in gallons. And this is what we're doing. Uh, you know, we have a history in the alternative healthcare practitioner uh, profiles that says that, you know, we should not be consuming yeast. Remember this for 30 years, we talked about uh, anti-candida diets, uh, yeast sensitivity, and all of a sudden, it looks like that 30 years of that discussion fell uh, asunder, and we're now running out and getting something that's fermented with a mushroom that nobody really knows. There's no standards. Uh, it's, it's a cultural thing, and I'm sure that when it's made in a culture by families who know what they're doing and consume in the way that they traditionally consume it is fine. But then adding it to all kinds of beverages here in this country, uh, you know, in, in the old days, adding any kind of a yeast to a dairy product or a beverage was considered a contaminant. And so now we're adding yeast and, and there's no, um, uh, how shall I say, Canadian standards or US standards as to what kind of yeast can be added, what, what is the species, Who's responsible for the fermentation cycle? And what about contamination? Are the products microbiologically pure? And this is where I believe that ignorance is not bliss. It's quite dangerous what people are doing. They have no idea what they're consuming. And they're consuming a yeast with a sugar, which can probably grow inside their intestinal tract. And I always tell people, you know, it doesn't mean that you're, if you're not uh, getting a reaction today, that you won't be getting a reaction uh, two months from now, three years from now, who knows? But you are disturbing that uh, eco ecosystem that is the most important ecosystem to your health. Very interesting. And I remember when I when kombucha first came out mm -hmm. uh, twenty years ago, and it wasn't it wasn't available commercially. It was only available through very specialized health shops. And the one that I tested was from Germany in you know the glass bottles and shipped and but even then at that stage when i tested it and the dosage the recommended dosage was a quarter to half a cup a day mm -hmm. and that was enough for me to see an effect of the product mm -hmm. and you know again germany has very high standards i tend to trust a lot of the alternative um supplements coming out of germany more than i would the us and canada and whatnot but um 
it's interesting to go like, okay, even from that quarter to half a cup as a, as a recognized therapeutic, like it, this wasn't something you drank as a daily beverage or ongoing. It was a, really a therapeutic to how it's being consumed now, which is like, you know, when you order your burger, you have a kombucha with it. You don't have, instead of having pop or juice, right? Like that's how it's become in, in usage today in North America. <coughs> yes, and that's, uh, uh, to me, that's appalling. I think we lack researchers that have vertical knowledge like you and I, and uh, people are just picking up fads, and they think just because it's posted on the internet or because their friend tells them about it that it's great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I can see a number of young people that adopt diets just because somebody told them it's good, and they stop eating things that are healthy for them and eliminate things that they shouldn't possibly eliminate. And then we have young women that are malnourished and even use their, lose their menstrual uh, cycle, which is very dangerous, yeah. and they just go on these fad diets. And I think that my cautionary tale to everybody is know what you're uh, taking, uh, decide what your genetic background is, what is the best diet for you, and we can talk about this, uh, about the raw diets and why I'm opposed to them. Uh, and that people have no, no information. Uh, they don't know how to choose a probiotic. Uh, they don't know how to choose an exercise that's best for them. Uh, they don't know how to choose a diet that's in line with their genetic background and what they're predisposed to digesting. And so that's where I think we have to drive everybody back. That, you know, uh, adopting something that's uh, on sale and putting it in your mouth because somebody told you it's good is the worst thing you can do. Because let me assure you, uh, neither the Canadian or the U.S. government is checking in to see what active ingredients are in those products or if it actually does any good for you. Yeah, And that's, that's where I think that most of us are lost. And that's, that's the key that you, you, it just continues to mystify me over and over that people think that there's somebody looking out and proofing all of these products and testing them to see if they actually contain what they say on the label and to realize that there, that's maybe happening in one out of what half a million, a million products that the FDA or whoever is in charge, Health Canada, is actually managing to snag and test. It's just not the kind of quality control that people are thinking about. So, anyway, I'm gonna jump us straight in because we have so sure. many questions, Natasha. Let's go. All right, question number one from Nelly. I just got over from being very sick with several digestive issues like 15 months ago, and I was on an elemental diet for 10 days a year ago. It's been a slow recovery, but I'm much better and stronger now. I went from taking the Natron Probiotics dairy-based powders, all three, to the vegan Healthy Trinity once a day. I'm still taking the Trinity once a day. Should I be or should I take a break? Uh, no, you should never take a break, especially if you live in uh, uh, westernized countries, from a good probiotic. And it's because in the last 60 years, our microbiota has been changed uh, dramatically. That's number one. And especially if you, you've been compromised, you should never stop taking it because, again, I'm going to repeat, whatever food you ingest has a background of bacteria. And a lot of that bacteria is now resistant because of antibiotic abuse. So you're ingesting a whole lot of bacteria that your body was, uh, was not ingesting if you lived 60 or 70 years ago. That's rule number one. 
and the bacteria are shedding out of your body. Uh, the stats are that 40% of your dry weight fecal matter is composed of microbes. So you are shedding bacteria every day. And most importantly, one of the reasons you're aging is because you become a poor host to these beneficial bacteria and they start vacating your body. It starts happening right in your mid-20s. So yes, the cultures who were healthy, at that time it was okay just to have the properly fermented foods in their diet. However, with the ecological change in the last 60 years, you need a solid probiotic each and every day. And the more stress you're under, and the more uh, intake of food you take that's not prepared by you and watched by you, yes, you should even maybe take it twice a day. That's a really interesting concept about us being a poor host for the healthy bacteria. Mm-hmm. And again, this is something that is not talked about or even brought into consciousness around probiotics. But you see it in the plant world um, and even in like the animal world. Like if you have a plant or an animal that's healthy, Certain mm-hmm. microorganisms or infestations like lice will not set up a shop there. They, mm-hmm. just, they won't. They're not drawn to it. But if the plant is mineral deficient or dying, like they've, they've done some studies in Africa where that's like the locust will just raise everything. But a field that's been purposely mineralized to really potent levels, the locust can actually pass over it. Because they're like, well, that field is fine. Or, or maybe the minerals change the taste of the plant so that locusts don't like it. We don't know. But the, the fact is that the sicker, weaker ones get cleared and the healthy, strong right. ones are left alone. Exactly. You, uh, if you don't have a healthy ecosystem, uh, when you consume uh, a pathogen, even in the size of the pinhead, uh, you will be compromised depending on how low your immunity is. And I can just tell you from what's going on in North America and in westernized countries, we have a breakdown that's been occurring for the last 60 years. Mothers are not passing on the right uh, beneficial bacteria to infants, even if they're breastfed and vaginally delivered. That doesn't set up the uh, communication between the immune system, the second brain, and the microbiota on the gut. And so it, it starts moving we start seeing attention deficit, autism, depression, anxiety. And believe it or not, it's all related to the gut. It's going out, what's going on in your gut. So if you're depressed about something that's going on in your life and, you're, and it's reflecting in poor eating habits, it's like a catch-22 or an eight. It keeps oscillating back and forth. Uh, you're, you're depressed and then whatever your gut is producing is depressing you even more and you're not aware of it. And so when we take drugs, we actually fool around with the chemicals in our brain to get rid of the depression. And as you know, that doesn't always work. So I tell people, uh, you know, our concept is not about curing anything. The body is the one that cures itself. It's about providing the right environment and the right ecosystem to give the body the tool to heal itself. Excellent. Okay, next question from Brooke. I'd love to know more about the ultimate strategies to getting the most from each probiotic pill. When you say mix and match the healthy start pills, how do I keep track and know what to do? I've been mindful not to eat garlic when I take them. How long a period should I keep garlic away from the probiotics? Well, since garlic is antimicrobial, I would say two hours. I would say whenever you have a, a substance, a component, a food, 
that's antimicrobial in nature, you take it two hours afterwards. And then I tell people, look, if you're eating out a lot, it's good to take the Healthy Start system three times a day. Because each time you eat out, you're exposing your body to what I call a different microbial load. And so that would be a good strategy for anybody today. Mm -hmm. And now she's, the other part of her question was mix and match the Healthy Start pills. So I guess she's talking about the different species. Uh And so, I mean, I could answer that, but she probably has my book. So why don't you answer that? Sure. Um, What I tell people is the lactobacilli, both the bulgaricus and the acidophilus, uh, serve more functions in the upper uh, intestinal tract. The acidophilus will will, uh, adhere itself to the uh, intestinal wall and will assist with uh, breakdown of food and mineral and vitamin absorption and keep that uh, you know, barrier healthy. Uh, the bulgaricus sort of goes along with the food uh, along the 27 feet of the intestinal tract and actually is one of the very few bacteria that can pre-digest food for you. So important to break down the food in the correct molecular size so that the immune system doesn't get annoyed. And, uh, you know, so those, those are very important to take during the day. So if you want to switch and take more of the bifido at night, uh, that would be great too, because the bifido quiets the liver, uh, because the liver is relieved of uh, uh, what I call overtime duty, because uh, the bifido bacteria makes certain toxins are removed through the feces from the large intestine, and so they're not sent back to the liver. That's a really important point. Excellent. I love that. Okay, next question from Patsy. I would like to inquire about probiotics and SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Which ones to use and which to avoid and why? Well, if you have SIBO, you definitely have to use the Digestolac and the Acidophilus because SIBO is an overgrowth of microorganisms in the upper small intestine. And that's where people have a tendency to have problems uh, when they're trying to break down their food. You don't have the right bacteria in the upper small intestine to facilitate proper digestion and absorption. So the two lactobacilli, the one found in Digestolac or uh, Megadophilus, are the ones who are going to be conquering that SIBO. So I would do it uh, three times a day before each meal and then take a larger dose of the bifido at night. Nice. Her second question is, she would like to know why um, the probiotic retention enema recommended in my book could create a flare of Crohn's with significant pain, diarrhea, and gas. Well, you know, it's what we call the Hertzheimer reaction. In other words, uh, you know, whenever you displace bacteria, they get very angry or yeast, and they retaliate by pumping in the most amount of toxins they can as a punishment to you for trying to displace them. That's the best way I can explain. So what you do is that you back down on the therapy, do, do less, do it less frequently, and then work up to when you can do the whole retention enema, then you know you have the upper hand. Yes. Um, and I'll give you a good example. I think I did this last time, but it's well worth repeating. Uh, the E. coli, that's very deadly that adopted the Shigella toxin. It's called the Shiga toxin. And that you know, toxin is used prolifically whenever you give an antibiotic to a patient 
who has uh, the E. coli uh, infection. And even the CDC in America are now telling physicians, please don't give antibiotics because they found that people who have this uh, bug in their system, it will get so angry when you get, uh, take antibiotics that it will pump the maximum amount of to toxins to shut down your kidneys. Not a pleasant thing to happen. So yes, the, the organisms, including the bacteria and the yeast, are getting smarter. And so whenever you try to displace them, whether by using drugs or probiotics or any kind of therapy, they will retaliate. Very, very good point. And we're back to that. The thing we talked about in our very first fermented foods call about the intelligence of these living, thinking, <laughs> conscious microorganisms. Yeah, they're, they're like I say, one-celled brains. They're so smart and they never do anything that's not in their best interest. That's what I have to tell people. So it's like you have to, as a probiotic manufacturer, meet their criteria for existence and thriving. Otherwise, they won't perform. They won't waste cellular energy for anybody. Yeah, very true. Next question from Edie. Can Natron probiotics reverse or help to reverse Hashimoto's hypothyroidism? If yes, how? Uh, no. Um, you know, uh, Hashimoto's along with uh, the multiple uh, autoimmune diseases we have is the immune system is misdirected but whatever organism we have in the body to attack a cellular structure of the body that resembles the, the offending organism. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. All autoimmune disease is, is very brilliant misdirection caused usually by the pathogen or pathogens that are trying to uh, set up a household on your intestinal wall. A probiotic supplementation program is very important for Hashimoto's or any kind of autoimmune disease, but the healing will depend on uh, how many tools the body needs in order to get over it. Yeah. In other words, you have to develop your own strategic uh, supplementation program. And I do recommend supplementation with thyroid and, you know, getting yourself educated on all the things you need to take to deal with the Hashimoto's. Yeah, I don't, I don't know of any autoimmune disease that can be healed by one, <laughs> one supplement, one thing, one, you know, yeah. it's, it's, by the time it's at that level, it's usually pretty multifaceted. And like you said, you've got to have a whole plan in place and, um, yeah, and, and every piece right. of it. Yeah, and using inferior products will probably turn you off and say, oh, this doesn't work. So again, I'm telling people, using the right products, uh, and the good news is about nature and you can never overdose. It's a matter of you know economic uh, of feasibility. But you can take as much as you want and re reach what I call a critical dose and find out what else you need. Uh, maybe you need to take the oregano oil that you recommend, Ginny. Uh, possibly you need to take thyroid supplementation. You know, uh, spend the time to investigate, create a customized program to you because each one of us has an individual fingerprint of the microbiota that's unique to us, just like our fingerprint. And so, you know, what may be uh, enough for you may not be enough for somebody else. Yeah. And that's where I hesitate. I tell people, I just give them directions to give them a head start. I think we in the, uh, alternative healthcare industry have become uh, dependent 
on big pharma because big pharma tells you uh, the amount of dosages to control a symptom. As we have talked about, we're not trying to cure or you know, if a, create a cure for any illness. We are giving the body the proper tools so that it can facilitate the cure itself. Yes. That's the difference. And if you don't give the body the right tool, then that cure is not going to take place. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's very rare that someone can heal anything long-term or multifactorial without also going into thought and behavior patterns. Sure. Be because I mean, that's, that's equal, if not more, higher contributor to dis-ease settling in through the layers of the body. Um, I'm lockstepping with you. I believe it's a spiritual and a physical problem. Yeah. And, exactly. and you know, that's why we have to seek the right answer. And unfortunately, there's too many people peddling too many, what I call fix quick, fix quick cures yeah. or quick fix cures that it's slowing us down who are really trying to help people. Yeah. And people are like, what are the supplements? They're, they're using it the same way they use drug therapy. They're like, what are the supplements I can take to get rid of these symptoms so I can just keep living my life the way I'm living it? But it's like this, this holistic approach is that if you have an imbalance, especially a fairly large one, there's something wrong with the way you're living your life. You know, you are maybe in a toxic relationship and you have to get yourself to the place where you can put some space in there or maybe you need to leave for a while or maybe you need to leave or maybe your daily lifestyle you're just beating your own butt from sun up till sundown saying do this and do this and do this but where's your self-care where's your nurturing where's the place where you say and now i'm going to go and i'm going to walk in the forest for an hour and a half and I'm just going to breathe in nature and I'm going to connect back in with the tree roots and then I'm going to go and then tomorrow I have a massage appointment booked. So I'm going to lie there and I'm going to allow my tissues and all of the lymph and everything to be like the, a holistic program instead of what we do in this culture, which is just like the only thing considered valuable is to work, 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 and then collapse for your half an hour, an hour of TV before you go to bed. It's right. that's, that's what the problem is. You are absolutely right. We don't, uh, we don't have a nurturing society any longer. Uh, people don't get together to talk. We're, we're in love with our machines. Yeah. It's really quite a narcissistic lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it doesn't uh, produce health. <laughs> it does not produce health. And so when people call me, believe me, a lot of people call me on the weekend and they want to be fixed right away. And I said, well, I'm fresh out of miracles. You know, I don't produce the miracles. I'll give you a path. And it depends on you on how quick your recovery is. Exactly. But, you know, I just give you the tools. You have to utilize the tools and your body has to be able to incorporate the tools uh, to, to make that cure or that change happen. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and that's where I think in the alternative healthcare industry, we have to change. I just want to add here that going to your health food store or even mass market, and buying something that's, you know, has a coupon on sale or offering you a cheaper price and you didn't do your homework to find out if that's really valuable, to me, that's the biggest waste of money. Yeah. Uh, you know, not buying something that's specific for your needs or you know because, you know, 20 people have told you, hey, this stuff works. Or somebody that you know has vertical knowledge will tell you this stuff will work. That's where I think we have to get back in our society. And we have to start talking to each other. 
like we did in the old days in the health food industry. Hey, look, this product is really great or this uh, therapy is really great. It's really helped me. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's what I tell people in my books over and over. I don't care where you buy your products, but go to my health store, look at the brands that I'm recommending, because those are the ones that have been tried and tested by tens and thousands of people with inflammatory bowel disease. Get that brand. Yes, it's probably not going to be the cheapest brand on the shelf, but there's a reason for that. And then, like you said, so you go and you buy the cheaper one. Oh, look, they've added betaine HCL. Now you've triggered intestinal bleeding. Was that worth your $10 savings? You know, so, yeah, exactly. It's the old cliche, you get what you pay for. Yeah. All right, next question from Chris. I use Natrin combined with oregano oil, and I think it's amazing in combination and alternating with no less than two hours apart in clearing my gut of any bad bugs, etc. Also, if it is flu season, I take one Natrin at bedtime to help boost my immune system. When using Natrin and oregano, I go for an alternating program for say one week or two and then I take a break. I also use the Absorb Plus Elemental Shake intermittently during this time. My question, is Natrin a long-term maintenance product, say for months or doing a heal, during a healing program, primarily with or without oregano oil? If you're healthy and feeling good, is using Natrin advised for maintenance? We kind of already answered that yeah, question. I just say if you like to eat, yeah, <laughs> you need Natrin for maintenance. You know, every culture that I have studied where people are healthy, they would consume the fermented milk two or three times a day. Yes. Uh, That was part of their ritual or, you know, what they consumed every day. And those were the cultures that were found to be healthy. Unfortunately, consuming fermented milk products or any kind of fermented milk product is no longer enough. That's what people fail to see. And that just because you live in westernized countries where we are now exposed to possibly a dozen very deadly drug-resistant bacteria that can be picked up on your steering wheel, off your iPhone, off the counter in your store, wherever you might be. That's why we have to make sure that we protect our internal ecosystem every day. Yes, exactly. Next question from Desiree. Many people find find dairy pro-inflammatory. Should people trying to manage inflammation avoid your dairy-based probiotics? Yeah, that's a loaded question. Um, You know, um, dairy is one of the best suited culturing mediums for these bacteria. That's why they're called lactobacillus, meaning they are milk bacteria. So that's their favorite food. If you're not specifically allergic to dairy, I would say take the dairy product. It's not going to cause more inflammation unless you're specifically allergic to it. You're allergic to the components of milk, basically the the, uh, protein part. Uh, The the lactose can be handled because your body can be reminded how to produce the enzyme and the bacteria will produce the enzyme for you. But milk has the complete nourishment for these bacteria so that they can do the best job for you. And I'm fought this for almost 50 years, this business about anti-milk. And, you know, the, 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 the cultures that were healthy consumed, you know, dairy products that were fermented with proper bacteria 
on a daily basis. So if you don't have an allergy to milk, I encourage you to take the milk products. Can I ask you a quick question there? Do the dairy-based powders, um, so you have the, the loose powder and then you have the capsules. This uh-huh. is not Healthy Trinity. We're talking about the other lines. Um, when they're the ones that are cultured on dairy, do the powders contain the dairy proteins? Yes, they do. Okay. They okay. do contain, but but they've been fermented, which is. And different. how about the capsules? The, when you when you have the powder inside the capsules, does that? Same thing. Same okay. thing. You just have less of the supernatant in the capsule than you do in the powder. Okay, so that might be a place to start then to test your tolerance. And, and for me, because I have scar tissue in my throat, I can't swallow pills, I just take the capsules, I open them up, and I mix them in room temperature water. Uh, but that would be a great way to start testing. And also, because I did a couple of very intensive teleseminars with a PhD in immunology and et cetera, et cetera, a bunch of experts on there where we talked about the whole issue of allergies and intolerance Mm -hmm. and, you know, how that is very much a learned way of being in the body. So, you know, we may be, well, we've been off milk for a long time or we've been consuming pasteurized gross milk products. So our body said, forget milk, but we can re, there's a certain amount of re-education there that can take place by kind of like homeopathy, introducing very small amounts. So for me, if I was wanting to do that, I would start with maybe taking one capsule of the dairy-based and mixing it with five or six capsules of the non-dairy and taking that together. That's a good idea. Yeah, that's a good thing you brought up. You know, we have the Healthy Start system, which has all the three bacteria that's found in the Healthy Trinity uh, capsule. So what we do is we have the same bacteria with different delivery mechanisms and different food so that those bacteria can interact with your body. Uh, and we are unique. Nature is still unique. I can assure you there is nobody that has our system or nobody that produces their bacteria with a supernatant, which means the original fermentation end products, which are so important to assist the bacteria to take hold on the intestinal wall and, and those compounds are also important as messengers and, you know, uh, interacting with the uh, bil- 100, billion do- uh, 100 billion neurons in your GI tract, which is the second brain, and the immune system. Next question from Desiree. Can taking powdered probiotics exacerbate SIBO? No, actually, they'll help. Yeah. But which, I mean, when you say pow- powdered probiotics, I can only talk about the nature Oh, yeah, I think she's talking about yours. Yeah, yeah. because you know our uh, nature and powder probiotics have that important fermentation end products, which have natural antimicrobial compounds, which are very important when you're trying to deal with SIBO. Yes, very good point. In that intrinsic supernatant or culturing medium. Yes. Are your probiotic capsules coated to deliver live organisms to the appropriate locations? Uh, I know they're talking about time release. Um, yes. Let me assure you that An I... enteric coating. Yes. My, my former um, medical director was a clinical pharmacist. And we've had many discussions with people about this enteric coating. Enteric coating was developed for the pharma industry to deliver uh, drugs in a time release fashion. And just because it uh, applies to drugs, it doesn't translate well uh, to microorganisms. 
it can actually interfere with the utilization of the microorganisms and may not provide sufficient uh, protection from the gastric juices that they promise you because that system is not uh, is alien to the microbes. Uh, that's the only that's the only short thing I can tell you. Uh, the uh, healthy Trinity that's uh, has the three microbes in uh, oil and it's micro enrobed can actually survive uh, hostile gastric juices at a pH of 1.7 for well over an hour, mm -hmm. and that's a third-party testing from a German uh, institute, uh, and that is published. So that that that's survival and our regular um, you know. Uh, products found in the Healthy Start system have the intrinsic supernatant, which serves as a food, as an extra added benefit to the bacteria, and also acts as a buffer while the bacteria are trying to get through the stomach. Um, you know, enteric coating, uh, usually when these so-called uh, private label people, you know, remember, all of these people don't make their own uh, probiotics. They go to a, uh, a contract manufacturer and they use somebody's methodology. So there's no, uh, how shall I say, formulator that looks at all the composition of these products to make sure that the bacteria criteria for survival are met so that they survive and not whether or not a system works in a, a human model. Does that make sense? Yep. It very much does. All right. Next question from Sarah. Is there any specific way or information about taking probiotics when one has Crohn's? This, this is probably someone who hasn't bought my book yet. <laughs> no, there, there's, there are specific guidelines. And, you know, you have to work with looking at uh, Ginny's books. Uh, and there's no really right or wrong way. It's, you know, you start off slowly and you start, you know, uh, healing your system. Yeah, that would be my thing. Like, okay, if you just want the, the, the quick answer, start really, really slow. Start with one species at a time and gradually build up. Because in Crohn's, the body loses tolerance to all bacteria. So again, you have right. to do that really slow re-education. Like you said, don't make them angry. Go in with a tiny dose. Avoid triggering them and gradually build up over time. Right. Don't trigger a war. Yes, exactly. Exactly. All right. Wendy asks, I am not taking Nature and Healthy Trinity every other day. Okay, that's weird. I think she meant I am taking Nature and Healthy Trinity every other day and using HMF replete by Genestra, which has 150 billion of probiotics. Is there a way to get this quantity by using any other Nature product? Well, first of all, uh, let's talk about, you know, potency because I'm the one who introduced the concept. A hundred billion of something you don't know what's in the product is useless. useless. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't do you any good. It just looks good on the box. Uh, and when you see what microorganisms are inside the, this uh, composition, you need to know how much of each microorganism you're getting. Otherwise, the 150 billion total count could be of a useless organism that they just shove in their large quantities to get that plating count, but it's not going to do your body any good. In other words, 150 billion of something that's not going to be functioning in your body is not going to be even a quarter as effective as a nature and healthy trinity of 30 billion. I think it's hard for people to understand. It's like sending a diminished troop to fight a very healthy troop. 
In other words, you've got to send very healthy, uh, vibrant bacteria inside the gut that are willing to fight for you. Because remember, if these bacteria are abused for somebody to make a label claim of 150 billion, and second of all, there is no third party testing to tell you that it's even 150 billion. And then I tell you, well, 150 billion of what? You, you have a spilled alphabet soup of microbes listed on the label. What are those bacteria for? What are they? What is their function in your GI tract? So I would just tell this woman, you're wasting your money and time. I would encourage you to take the Healthy Trinity every day and forget this other product because you're watering down uh, any um, uh, progress you're making. The other thing that I've seen uh, probiotic manufacturers do is there's even some that will list the species and the strain on the bottle, and it will be a you know scientifically published, effective, strong strain, but they mix it as part of four to five other species and strains, which are far less potent, far less expensive, and they list a total count. So again, they're, pre they're presenting the product like we have this super, super effective strain in here that's quite costly compared to the others. So you're getting a quality product, but they've masked it because they haven't told you how many CFU of the good strain are in there for one to start what? with, right? So they could have like 95 or 98% of the product be the cheaper, less viable bacteria, and just the last five or three percent of the expensive ones sprinkled in there. But their total claim is 100 or 150 billion, and you go, "Wow, this is an awesome product. This compares." It actually doesn't. No. And then we get back to the other thing that we talked about, and I talk about extensively in my books about what happens when you put competitive organisms together in the same bottle or in the same capsule, and then what does that effect, does that have on their efficacy? What happens in terms of, maybe you can speak right now to the concept of com competitive exclusion. Right, well, first of all, the, um, the natural existence of bacteria is something called mutual antagonism. Remember, the objective of a bacteria is to thrive. And when you put the bacteria in a capsule or a bottle, it's a closed-ended system. No, not, no food comes in and no waste goes out. And especially if these bacteria are revitalized by improper handling, they will wake up and they will start uh, producing compounds to uh, compete with any bacteria that's in their space because now that you've forced them to survive. Yes. Uh, you know, and people don't understand this. First of all, there is no scientific criteria that says mixing bacteria produces better results. None. They always Very talk about the specific activity of a single bacteria. Second of all, uh, only the science has recently been discovered, something called real-time PCR, that you can even verify what's in the product in the beginning. Once you mix the bacteria, no one knows what's in the product or how much of each strain you're getting. So there's two types of deception. First of all, Nobody's performing these tests to show you that these, this so-called manufacturer actually put the bacteria in. Number two, we don't know in what number those bacteria are there once you consume the product. And number three, we don't know what damage has been done because now you put this bacteria in a horrible survival mechanism where they're trying to outmaneuver each other to survive 
So when they reach your GI tract, they're not induced to really help you. They're now, you know, trying to figure out how they best can survive in a new ecosystem that's very, you know, hostile and that they have to overcome these obstacles. So now if they've been fighting inside the bottle with, these, with each other and now you put them in another dynamic ecosystem, what do you think is going to happen? They're not going to want to perform because they don't waste cellular energy to, to uh, please us. They're there for their own best interest. And that's why time and again, for the last 35 years, thousands of people have called me and they say, well, I was turned off to probiotics because I tried uh, XYZ and it didn't work for me. And it's not about selling a product. Believe me, it's not about anything else. I'm still working today because I realized that the misinformation is still prolific and we've got nations that are not healthy that need to be helped. And I would really like to get good competition. I would love it because then I would say, well, you have a choice. You know, this one particular product works, but I've been doing this for 50 years and I can assure you that I could make those products with my uh, eyes closed and my hands tied behind my back. I don't choose to do that because I don't think it's the right way to get the product to the person to get the desired result. And that's all I can tell people that, you know, I'm still on the same premise. Nature and products are still unique. And there's people making that product. They don't even make the product, the company. You know, I would ask your listeners to do me a favor. Call up any company and probiotic and ask them who the formulator of that product is. I'll bet you they can't name one person. Mm-hmm. Who actually, you know, this is, this is rocket science. It's like somebody asks you, well, who was the main engineer who made the space shuttle for NASA? They could probably rattle off three or four. You call up a company that's selling a probiotic line. Well, who's your formulator? Who did the research? And why are you uh, putting these microorganisms together in this one capsule What's the purpose? What's your objective? And I'll bet you, you can't get one answer because I've said this before and I've had dozens of people call. They don't even get a call back. No. They don't even have a scientist on the staff that can speak to them. I, I did that when I first wrote, listen to your gut way back. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh I actually was because, you know, I used to be a journalist, so I have a bit more skill at getting to people and asking questions. And so I did manage to speak to two or three, three different manufacturers. Two of them did not know. And this is the, the thing. You think someone's manufacturing a product that they've done all the research, they've looked at the published microbiological studies. No, they have not. They're ordering from a mass supplier of microorganisms and and you know they send out a little sheet and it has three columns of microorganisms i'm not joking well you've probably seen it you just tick the box for the microorganism that you want included in your blend in your product and then they manufacture that for you mm-hmm. and the third one um got so irate because i think he actually his heart was in the right place he actually wanted to be helping people But then when he, my questions made him realize that he didn't know what he was doing. He hadn't done his research. Then he started getting really angry um, because, you know, now, now he's either got to have a come to Jesus moment or he's got to close up shop. Right. So people don't like being put in that position. So he ended up like yelling at me over the phone and I was like, wow, this is, and, and that's what happens because 
most of the people producing probiotics don't know what they're doing. They have no idea about microbiology. And they, like you said, they don't have a PhD microbiologist on staff. They don't have, there no one is culturing their own probiotics in-house. It's, you can't even compare. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's like tell people that, you know, you're making a space shuttle. I just want to remind everybody how this whole probiotic industry started. Before my time, the only thing that, that uh, base manufacturers of these bacteria were selling is starter cultures. There was none of these bacteria. And so their whole methodology is geared to producing starter cultures, either for cheese or for yogurt or for wine or something else. They were not geared to making probiotic supplements. Yeah. I still am the only manufacturer who geared up to make probiotic supplements that, you know, should be consumed as supplements. Everybody else adopted their manufacturing processes to sell product. And that's a big difference. Yeah. <coughs> yeah, exactly. Which is why your product line has stayed consistent over the decades and everyone else is just rushing to add whatever the hot new microorganism species of that you know of this year is and and throwing in the soil organisms and the soil organisms are really um disturbing i'm getting samples sent to me all the time of because they're so easy to work with they're shelf stable they survive anything so people are throwing them in gummy bears for kids and you know little um candy like they're like you know those can you know kids dip the stick and they look the well they've they've created a probiotic powder and so you just put it on your tongue and it's kind of sparkly and like they're basically creating probiotic products out of bacterial soil organisms that taste look and feel like candy and right. well th this is where the consumer comes in yeah. you know uh, the whole premise of the health food industry when i started 60 years ago was they wanted to change people's perception of what these products should do and how they should help people the problem is that when anything becomes popular Everybody wants to jump in and they don't want to spend time educating the consumer. That doesn't make them money. What they want is something to meet their marketing criteria. And I can just tell you that those companies selling these products don't have one scientist on staff, but they'll have four or five marketing people and they'll just tell the people who are trying to tell them the science to shut up because they don't want to re-educate the customer. They want to give the customer what they want and promise them that it's going to work when in actuality it doesn't work. Because I say again, if you don't meet the survivability of these bacteria, they're not going to do you any good. And if you fool around with what I call designer bacteria, especially soil organisms, you have no idea what, you know, uh, autoimmune disease can hit you or what other disease. And it may not manifest today, it may manifest three years down the road. And people say, Oh, you know, I just got this. Well, no, you didn't just get this. It was festering in you for years. You just were too ignorant to notice it. Yeah. Yeah. Or it, it, there's tiny signs that until you learn how to put them together and realize, oh, there's, there's something much bigger happening here. Okay. Um, question from Robert. Do you know if the bacterium, bacterium 
Esh, I don't know how to pronounce this. Escherichia coli, yeah. Escherichia coli, Nicel 1917 is good for the gut. It is apparently found in raw milk. No. First of all, you don't want you don't want any bacteria in raw milk. And I'm uh, this this little bacteria is used in Germany as a probiotic. Uh, and you know it's okay to use this in Germany because the German government tests to make sure that the E. coli didn't pick up any plasmids from any other bacteria. Uh, it's not something I would be consuming in large quantities in this country. Uh, it could be quite dangerous because it could share plasmids with a uh, pathogenic E. coli, and you'd be in big trouble. And uh, you know, usually what's found in raw milk is salmonella because it's airborne. And that's why I encourage people to cook their raw milk. I know they're going to roll their eyes because in the old country, we don't drink raw milk unless we have our own cow. Yes. You have your own cow and milk it in the morning, it's fine. But the minute you milk the milk, you're getting you know, bacteria from the udder that's in the you know, thing. And you need to uh, cook that milk before you drink it to make sure you're not picking up the bacteria that you, know, you got from the cow. And also I tell people, Unless you cook the milk and cool it down before you culture it, you're not going to have a good set because there's going to be bacteria fighting in there for setting that milk. And, you know, I've been trying to tell this to people, but this business of raw, I mean, maybe next teleseminar, I'm going to get into the issue of raw, uh, that no healthy culture that I've studied consumes all these things raw. This is something that was brought into the health food industry by people that live here. I know because I've worked with Altadena Dairy in the 1960s and 1970s, and we went through this raw milk issue. Uh, they used to have a facility where you could eat off the floor where they were milking their cows, and they could still pick up salmonella in, from the air. So that's what I tell people, that you have to weigh. What are you losing by heating the milk versus what are you getting in the milk is what we call background noise. And now the background noise is very smart, and can do a lot of damage. So I, I think maybe I have to do a whole teleseminar on this business of raw. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, and I would, I, I'm hearing you. I also have, you know, I'd say 12 years experience now. We've been, we buy raw milk, but we know the farmer that we buy from. Mm -hmm. um, and he tests in excess of state regulations, mm -hmm. and we've had no issue um, with the kids. I can't, I can't drink milk at all, um, but I used to be able to, and for Ian and the kids, they've had no issues with it. And so, and then what, the other thing that comes up for me is the whole thing of, well, when you try to become too sterile, that actually has a, a negative effect on the immune system because humans have evolved to exist with multiple pathogens and multiple parasites and our immune system, you know, which is why the kids who have very severe allergies, they'll bring in like cartloads of African dirt that has still has a lot of microbes in it and they get the kids to play and it actually gives the immune system something to do and the immune system calms down. So there's like that whole other thing. So again, we're back to, well, is it the germ or is it the health of the host environment? It's both. Well, the thing is, yeah, the sterility uh, issue I understand, but we've changed the environment. And I can only go back to my culture 
where you know families practice very strict sanitation um, and the kids didn't have allergy in fact my parents when they came to this country hadn't heard of half the diseases that people talk about and my mother had a degree in pharmacy but with the Eastern European herbs in the old days you could get you know a degree either with Western medicine or with Eastern European herbs and I, I can just tell you that None of, none of the uh, people that we grew up with, they only got started getting diseases because of the wars. Beforehand, people didn't used to get ill. They had very strict rules about what was brought in the house, how it was handled, who washed what, where the hands were washed, what, what you did with your shoes when you entered the house, you know, what was allowed to be put in the kitchen sink and what was not allowed to put in the kitchen sink. And basically, a lot of our vegetables were sauteed and very few of the vegetables were consumed raw. The only thing we consumed raw was fruit during the summer and, you know, uh, uh, some salads during the, the, the summer. Uh, but other than that, we didn't eat raw stuff. And, you know, so that's where I have to come back and say, yes, let's investigate. Because you have to investigate the cultures. Where were the cultures that for centuries were consuming these raw products? Well, maybe in Switzerland or Germany where they had their own cows. Yeah. And they would drink the fresh milk from their own family cow. That's different than buying, you know, somebody that bottles the milk. And maybe you have an extraordinary person who's doing that. But, you know, um, other than that, and even in the old country, remember, my mom would not allow us to drink the raw milk. It wasn't homogenized. We used to get it from a farmer that used to bring it to our house. She would want to cook the milk before she would allow us to, to drink it. Yeah. You know, it's it's... It, it's, I understand what you're saying, and I'm not entirely opposed to it, but I've seen too many people who are on these raw diets. And remember, civilization could not progress until man started cooking their food. You could not develop the brain because you could not consume enough raw foods that were digested. You, you spent all your day feeding your body with raw foods in order to get enough nourishment to sustain you. And it's, I, it's like my horses, they have to eat. Their stomach produces acid 24 hours a day because yeah. they have to continually be eating to, to build and maintain that muscle mass. Right. And right. Cows, so, cows have two stomachs for that same purpose because right. the digestion of the raw is so difficult, it's so intense that they need an extra fermentation chamber. Right. And for instance, even have to tell my daughter, you know, for her dogs, I said, your dogs are domesticated. You shouldn't allow them to go outside and pick stuff off the street and eat because they're going to get sick. You see, you, you have to sort of have norms of, you know, uh, w when, when people become domesticated, how their immune system changes. And I think the business in America, when they're talking about too much sterility, possibly there's too much sterility because of the use of antimicrobial agents. Yeah. But I don't think that a lot of, you know, people in the last two generations know anything about sanitation. I think I know the very little. And I think there has to be a balance. Mm -hmm. What, you know, how to keep your house sanitary. Because uh, I encourage people to get one of those uh, lights that you can look on your counter. Even after you wipe it with something, what happens in 30 minutes on the counter? They're not using that in culinary schools to teach people how to keep counters sanitary so that their customers don't get food poisoning. So I think there has to be a balance here in the teaching. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm back to the host. Like I, 
I go, well, you know what? You're never going to educate that many people. They're never going to care that much. And having traveled a lot in third world countries where that doesn't exist, but you know what, Natasha, even me, who's had serious widespread Crohn's disease. So that shows you that my system's been through a lot. Mm -hmm. You can heal yourself and you can get your microbiome strong enough that you can go to those countries. And again, I travel with my nature and probiotics. I am taking them every single day. Mm -hmm. And we've been in Mexico where every single person staying at the same facility is out with food poisoning, except mm -hmm. for my family. And we're yep. fine. So yeah. again, I prefer to go, well, whatever, you know, like, yeah, you do your best and you do whatever. But for me, the only thing you can really control is what's happening in here. And that's what I like to focus on. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And that's what I tell people that, especially if you're traveling, uh, you need yeah. to take the probiotics even twice a day and just be, use common sense. I tell people don't eat anything that doesn't have a thick skin that you can peel yourself and just be careful. Yeah. You know, you know eat in a place where you recognize there is some sanitation being observed. Yeah. And, and, you know, like, again, so with that, I say, yeah, I travel and like, I'll eat off a roadside stall in Thailand, but I'm watching and I'm going, that's the thing that was cooked in the really high heat walk. That's what I'm ordering. Yeah. I'm not ordering the thing or like in Mexico, it's like, oh, look. And I'll say to my family, I'll go, that salad has a mayonnaise base. Look how long it sat there. Don't touch anything with mayonnaise. Mm -hmm. Right, it's ideal culturing media. So, right. you know, there is an intelligence behind right. what I eat when I'm traveling. And definitely, I, I'm not eating raw stuff because it's going to be washed in water that's already contaminated. Exactly. I'm looking for the stuff that's high heat, open flame, usually cooked, you know, and kill almost everything. And mm -hmm. I'm taking my probiotics and then I've been totally fine. Right. All over Asia and whatnot. Yeah, you know, it, it's... Uh... I can just tell you that since we've changed the external environment, uh, probiotics has become uh, a necessary thing to take every day. It's no longer like it was before. Uh, we've changed the environment. We have, like I said, at least a dozen uh, pathogens in our community. I don't care where you live, especially dangerous when you go to visit the hospital. I always tell people, load up on your probiotics before you visit somebody in the hospital, and this is not a joke. Uh, I mean, you just have to use common sense. There's, we've changed the environment. And until the environment yeah. changes, this is the most important strategic thing you can do. As I tell people, my tripod of health for the 21st century is strategic probiotic supplementation, uh, the diet that suits you, and an exercise program. I will not go to a hospital unless it's absolutely like if my baby, you know, someone was dying or whatever, I'll say, I, if you need me to come and drop something off to you, but I'm not going into that environment is such the most incredibly high disease environment. And if my kids go, I make them put their hands behind their back. So they're not, they don't touch anything. The second we open the door, it's like I have either a glove or a handkerchief. I'm pushing the elevator buttons with the end of a pencil. Like I literally will not touch anything in there. Yeah. For example, and, like, and people come here to heal. It's absolutely ridiculous. Okay. I'm going to finish up with this Robert's okay. question because we're running out of time. Okay. Again, stuff we've already talked about, but let's just give it one more go around because the fact that there's so many questions about the same thing says to me that maybe people need to hear it a few different ways for it to go in. Right. He's saying, 
could the three types of beneficial gut bacteria, so I assume he's talking about the acidophilus, the bulgaricus, and the um, bifido, disappear from the gut by natural means, i.e. something other than antibiotics, which could kill them off, and therefore they would need to be replaced on a regular basis. So if the basic three types of bacteria are missing for the gut, would they ever come back into the gut naturally through some natural or normal process? No, there is a normal process where they come back. Um, unfortunately, as I explained earlier, if you're healthy and having a bowel movement every day, you're shedding about 40 percent of that dry weight fecal matter is bacteria. And what happens is that when you grow new cells on the intestinal wall, that new cellular growth, you know, dumps or pushes bacteria off the uh, intestinal wall. So it will be lost. And unfortunately, the process of aging makes us, the human being, a less desirable environment for these bacteria to live. Remember, you as a uh, biological entity were made to fail. You have a limited lifespan. How, uh, how, how much you improve that lifespan or how healthy your lifespan is depends on your diet, the amount of bacteria that's uh, friendly to you that you keep replenishing inside your GI tract and how much exercise you do because we now know even exercise affects the composition of the microbiota. So it's like you are a machine that is exposed every day. And remember, we've changed the environment. So that machine has to be replenished on a daily basis in order to run at an optimal level. I think where the sticking point is coming in for people is they're not understanding. They have a concept of I'm putting in good bacteria and they colonize and then they live there. Mm -hmm. They're not understanding the difference between that and transient beneficial species. Mm -hmm. So what's, and then things like soil organisms. Yeah, you put soil organisms in there, they live there and then we don't know what happens, right? We don't know if they're dormant or in what phase they're in. It's very dangerous. And that's what I'm saying. The colony shifts can happen every second. If you just think of uh, the most bizarre science fiction film you can ever think of, that's how that microbiota, you've got trillions of microorganisms and all of them are competing to get on that you know, intestinal wall. Remember, uh, the important functions of the microbiota is uh, pathogen interference you know, to interfere with the pathogen so it doesn't land on your intestinal wall and cause you problems. Uh, to improve the barrier function. What is the barrier function? There's like little gates on your intestinal wall. And the beneficial bacteria keep, you know, these gates closed by sending messages uh, to the immune system to keep out the pathogens that obviously want to get into your bloodstream and get a free ride to your organs. Okay, so that's number two. So that's the fight that's going on on a daily basis. And so also communication with the immune system, how well these bacteria are situated on your intestinal wall is whether or not they can send, have this crosstalk between the immune cells and the uh, second brain. So that's the, the third function. And then the neurotransmitter production. If those neurotransmitters are able to communicate so that they get from the second brain to the first brain, those are the things that need to be taking place on a regular and optimal basis. If those four functions aren't fulfilled every day, you're not going to enjoy optimal health. Right. And 
I wonder too, because the, the, when you say that thing that comes up for me is, well, what is the reason that the beneficial bacteria are the transient ones, the ones that we have to keep ingesting and they do their job and then they pass out and we ingest them and they do their job and they pass out? Well, they're, they're not totally transient. Okay. Uh, a lot of them will park on the intestinal wall and will attach. The problem is that everything sooner or later gets kicked off that wall. Yeah. And it also depends on how good of a host you are and whether or not you know how to deliver those bacteria so that they go to the niche where they like to thrive and they're not competing with other bacteria as they're trying to get to the niche that they want. So what you want to do is you want to strategize to make certain that you keep introducing that beneficial bacteria on a daily basis to keep those colonies thriving. We still don't know how much of these bacteria survive and for how long and whether you want them to survive for a long period. You know, this is an, another congestion we don't know that if, if we have a certain microbiota set, uh, we keep throwing in these beneficial bacteria to keep that uh, optimal uh, balance. Uh, why are we want, adding something that somebody doesn't know about and how are, they, how are they claiming you're keeping the optimal balance by adding stuff that we don't know about? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. So, so a conservative approach is the best approach because we're like the 22 blind men feeling the elephant when we talk about that microbiota. It depends on what we're feeling as to what we describe and what the elephant looks like. It's still, you know, the science is fresh. Uh, people confuse terms like microbiota and microbiome. They don't know the difference between them. Uh, they listen to somebody who's gotten like five minutes training in the aisle and they'll tell them something that's completely out of context. So my takeaway from this teleseminar is that know who the manufacturer is, know who the formulator is, know who stands behind the product before you ingest a living microbe. It is so dangerous to play around with microorganisms, especially if you don't know what you're ingesting. I have two questions. Sure. First one is, um, do you know, say, tr yogurt tradi cultured in the traditional manner of, say, mm -hmm. your grandmother, your great-grandmother, how many CFU per serving, like, you'd eat, what, maybe half a cup or a cup of that yogurt? Do you have an... Uh, yeah, but the CFUs would be in the, like, uh, maybe the millions, because the, remember, the longer it sits... The, the, the fresher it is, the higher the CFU count. Okay. And the longer it sits, the less CFU count it dies. And that's when it starts spoiling. Usually after a week, it'll start spoiling because the beneficial organisms will die off and the not so beneficial ones will start souring the milk uh, to a point where it's not pleasant to eat anymore. So in, in yogurt cultured in that traditional way, we'd have what, five or 10 million CFU per serving? Yeah. You would, maybe, you, maybe you could get a, a couple hundred million, depending on how good the uh, starter culture is. Remember, it all depends on the starter culture. And in Healthy Trinity, you've got... 30 billion. 30 billion. And so, again, that's, that's a very interesting comparison, which speaks again to your point about how our environment has changed so yes. drastically. That it we has need so much more. Bacteria. Well, look, uh, the, the most um, critical example I can give you is that in the 1970s, we had one in 10,000 children 
that were diagnosed with autism. Now we have one in 50, and even that might be old data. So the projection is that by 2030, one in two children in North America will be diagnosed with autism. It's not getting better. So whatever we're doing, it's not you know, uh, improving the situation, it's getting worse. And that's because I think that a lot of people in the alternative health field were more interested in a business model than in selling product that could really change the course of what we've done. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you know, having, having been in this industry for 50 years, I can give you ample examples of that. And if we don't stop it, it's gonna get worse because I tell people, okay, uh, so you've gone and you've gotten your organic produce. That's terrific. I love it. Uh, you've done all this, but has the health of the Canadian nation or the U.S. nation really improved in the last 50 years? And I say not. I think a, a percentage, maybe 5 to 10%, has improved significantly. But I would say the overall health of people, from my observation, has not improved because everywhere I go, within five minutes, I'm surrounded by I have a dozen people telling me their GI problems. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to close by asking you to define for us the difference between microbiota and microbiome. Uh, very good question. Microbiota means the microbes, which includes bacteria, yeast, and viruses found in the 27 feet of GI tract. The microbiome is the sum of all the genetic material found in the microbiota that actually controls uh, 99% of your genetic output and your own genetic uh, faculty only controls 10% of your genetic output. Interesting. Yeah, I don't think anybody's using those terms correctly. (laughs) No, I mean, they're they're interchangeable. So I gave up, you know, but five years ago, I called the trust and got the exact definition. And there's something else called now uh, they're, they're talking about the supernatant, they're calling it metabolomics. And metabolomics oh. are the fermentation end products of these bacteria when they're cultured. And they're finally now talking about the importance of that. Yes, that's not talked about at all. No. Um, writing that down, metabolic end products. Yeah. Because those are, as we've been discussing over these calls, that's often a real tipping point for what is helping people see such powerful results from the Natron versus other brands. Because the Natron, you know, you have your certain formulations that include those metabolic end products, which are so helpful uh, for so many different processes. It's really what I call a holistic product. You know, we talk about the whole. This has yeah. the whole. We don't separate. We keep it whole. And I think uh, it really, in in closing, I just want to tell the listeners that, you know, their health is in their hands and who they listen to and what uh, material or knowledge they apply really depends on their uh, resolution to make sure that they have the right information. Yes, exactly. Thank you so much, Natasha. Thank you.